1: Savings products insured by
0: NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So, next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. off today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
1: Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, have you ever seen a turtle get down? I'm Jonathan Strickland.
3: And I'm Joe McCormick. That that is a good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a, uh, you have to make a hop.
3: No, from from the lyric it.
1: to the artist to the topic.
3: So our other host Lauren Vogelbaum is not with us today. She is off exploring the wonders of the sewers of New York City to find that mystical turtle gang. But yes, uh, she will be back with us next time, hopefully with pizza. Right? You never pay full price for late pizza.
1: No, you don't. So uh, let's uh, let's 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 transition smoothly, if we will. Into the actual topic for today.
3: This is the least smooth thing that has ever happened.
1: That's fine. Uh, I I I am used to that at this point. We want to talk a little bit about a, a topic that plays into something we've chatted about many times before. It kind of taps back into the that idea of how could you attain immortality. And we've talked about in lots of episodes. Uh, there was the future of blood. Um, there was who wants to live forever. There was Human Plus, mm-hmm. transhumanism uh, episode, and most recently in the anti-aging debate yeah. episode. And uh, there's this whole idea about how can we attain immortality. There are a lot of people who think that that actually is within our grasp. Uh, Ray Kurzweil is a person that we talk about a lot on this show as one of those people.
3: Or what, whether or not immortality is possible. Uh, at least a uh, radical life extension.
1: Right. Yeah. If not immortality, the idea of living uh, perhaps indefinitely. And, and uh, one of the fears that people have is that what if we do figure out how to do that, but I'm dead before that happens. Yeah, I
3: miss the window, so it's only my my darn kids that get to live forever, right. and I die before I get the chance.
1: I paid for those jerks to go through school, and I don't get to live forever.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, this is something that comes up. So the obvious solution here is <laughs> put me on ice. You yeah, know,
1: freeze me, buddy.
3: And so today we're going to be talking about cryonics, the idea of using extreme low temperatures Mm -hmm. and cooling to preserve the human body or more specifically the human brain and sometimes the body. Yeah. With the hopes that in the future it could be defrosted and brought right back to
1: life. Right. And then the important thing here is that uh, we are talking about Freezing someone after they have been declared dead, as opposed to you're entering some sort of suspended animation, alien style.
3: Right. That might be a cool topic to do uh, a whole other time, like sus- general suspended animation. Right. Yeah. It, can they, Can they put you in a tube and let you go to sleep for sixty seven years on the way to some other planet?
1: Yeah. Can you rip Van Winkle it? Right. Uh, that's a, a that would be a great uh, companion episode to this one. So we thought it might be interesting to kind of go. Through the history of cryonics, uh, as well as the, the theory behind it, and then some discussion about, uh, is it at all plausible? Um, but before we do that, uh, I, I, I we have to address it. It's not in our notes, but we have to address it. One of the, the most, uh, well known urban legend stories about cryopreservation, Walt Disney. Oh! Frozen under Pirates of the
3: Caribbean. I should have known you were going this direction. That's not true, is it? Not true at all. I don't think he was cryopreserved in any manner. No,
1: he was not. Uh, But that is one of those enduring urban legends. I remember – maybe it's not enduring today. I remember hearing it when I was a kid. Uh, But that is not the case. He was not cryopreserved in any way. Um, But that is one of those stories that you would hear. And I I, I love the audacity of it, not just that he was put into cryogenic – uh, preservation, but that he he is under a ma- major tourist attraction. <laughs> well, I love how this is a story that gets repeated in
3: different variations throughout our culture, which mm-hmm. is the famous or powerful person is not actually dead, or not dead in the way you thought they were. Right. You know, Elvis is still alive. Hitler is still alive. Tupac. Right, yeah. Anybody who's, I mean, whether they were loved or hated, uh, powerful or just well-known, these these public figures. Uh, we, we, we tend to want to come up with stories for why they're not actually dead and just rotting in the ground. Right. There, there's something that happened. And, and the cryopreservation version is a new, uh, is a new technological take on this. Yeah. Because it used to just be like, oh, you know, that they, there was a body double who died and right. they're secretly alive somewhere. But now you can tell this same legend while accepting the fact that they did die. You just say, well, they're frozen and they right. could come
1: back. Right. So, this idea dates back quite a ways, actually, the idea of resuscitating a preserved human being. Is a really old one, particularly if you take into account uh, certain religions and their fact the the, right. the, the, the the important factors of those religions.
3: Sure, and that's not what we're going to be talking about no. today. Now, that of course is a very old idea, and uh, and there are lots of different ways you could believe in that. Some people believe in sort of the the spiritual survival of death and a sure. you know, Platonic dualism idea where you have a soul that le- leaves the body on death and survives in some way. And some religions also believe in physical reanimation of the corpse at some kind of resurrection. Direction event sure. or something like that. Or reincarnation. Yep. There are lots of ways to go at it. Today we're going to be focusing on the scientific idea of reanimation of the body and the brain.
1: And and one of those early ideas, uh I mean obviously you could sit there and think of like Frankenstein being an example of that. But there is also a 19th century short novel titled The Man with the Broken Ear. Mm-hmm. It's written by a French author in which a biology professor puts a person in suspended animation by drying him out, <laughs> removing the water and then turning him, him back. Into,
3: into man jerky. Yeah,
1: exactly. It just becomes uh, the, the, the macho man Randy Savage's worst uh, nightmare in that case. Oh, yeah. yeah so at any rate, uh, that, it, this was an idea being thought about well before anyone came up with the notion of of, uh, cryopreservation, but the first really serious proposal to use uh, refrigeration or actually even beyond refrigeration. We're talking about uh, vitrification Mm -hmm. to preserve humans dates back to uh, Robert Ettinger, who published a book in 1962 called The Prospect of Immortality and uh in that uh, you can actually read that book including an updated version of that book in pdf format on the cryonics institute's website um, now
3: who is the cryonics institute
1: what do you think uh it's a organization that was founded by ettinger uh uh-huh. and uh and obviously it's an organization that uh that promotes and performs cryopreservation
3: i guess what i was asking was when you get a sense of them do you feel like they're uh, a strong legitimate scientific organization or maybe a little cranky
1: um that's a difficult thing to answer. Uh, my personal belief uh, – we're getting a little ahead of this – but my personal belief is that cryonics is uh, – uh, perhaps goes beyond optimistic into wishful thinking uh, based upon just what we know right now. And yeah. so I think that their practices are based upon the most – Comprehensive scientific knowledge we have at this time, but there are huge gaps in that scientific knowledge that they make are... a
3: lot of very optimistic assumptions.
1: Yeah, it makes me think of, uh, of the underpants gnomes. Yeah. But number one, underpants. Number two, something. Number three, profit. Uh-huh. It, it feels like there's a lot of somethings in that. Now, well,
3: we'll we'll talk about those missing steps yeah. in this episode. But yeah, the the version here would be step one, freeze you. Step two, uh, step three, you're back. back to life. Yeah.
1: So Edinger was a physicist and mathematician. I say was because he has passed on. He is cryo preserved. Uh-huh. Uh, who not only wrote about cryonics, but he founded that cryonics institute as well as the Immortalist Society. So he was a futurist who was really thinking about this stuff, including transhumanism. So covering a lot of the topics that we've talked about here on Forward Thinking. Uh, He died in 2011 at the age of 92 and was cryopreserved. Uh, And Ettinger's premise in the book is as follows. This is a a direct quote from Chapter 1 of his book. The fact, at very low temperatures, it is possible right now to preserve dead people with essentially no deterioration indefinitely. Hmm. Number two, the assumption, if civilization endures, medical science should eventually be able to repair almost any damage to the human body, including freezing damage and senile debility or other cause of death. It is that second part, the assumption, that a lot of people take exception to, right? The idea that um, just because civilization endures, this is presupposing that what you are saying is actually possible. And if it is possible then we agree. Yes, we will one day figure it out. But what if it is not possible? That's the problem.
3: Well, also, just as stated, I'm sure Edinger in some way anticipates this, but just in the simple way it was stated here, I might also take issue with the first part, the fact that it's possible to freeze people with essentially no deterioration, because I think what that's talking about there is it prevents the onset of natural decay. Yes. Your body does not uh, go into cell death and continue to rot, essentially. But the freezing process inherently does introduce uh, qu- quality of tissue preservation problems on its own.
1: Yes, we'll talk a little bit more about those. Not only that, but there's no substantiation to the belief that that deterioration wouldn't have some other uh, manifestation. Like if the brain is inactive that long, would would you be able to – Revive a person. Yeah. Like you might be able to revive tissue mm-hmm. and make, and the body could technically live again, but there might not be a person there anymore.
3: Right. That's, um, uh, that's a good point. I will also bring that up later. But we should, for a moment, take the cryonicist's point of view. Is yes. that the word cryonicist? Uh, the, the cryonics advocate's point of
1: view and say, what does the service claim to offer? So the basic claim is that cryopreservation will keep a body intact long enough. From medical science to advance to the point where any damage that was endured by the body, including death itself, can be reversed. In fact, it has to include death because cryopreservation is really about uh, suspended death, not suspended life. Right. And uh, and so not only do you have to reverse the cryopreservation process itself, which is a tall order, but then also reverse anything that led to the person dying in the first place, whether it was a terminal illness or some other organ failure or whatever it might be. Right. Um, The important element here is preservation. The body and particularly the brain has to be preserved in order to give the future doctors the chance to revive the patient.
3: And this does make sense because, I mean, if you just – if you have somebody die, you can't just leave them at room temperature and say we'll see if we can revive them later. Yeah, because you're going to come back and they won't be there anymore. Yeah, well, well, what is there to revive except their bones? Right,
1: right. The the actual deterioration will continue. Bacterial will will yeah. break things down. So you have to slow all that or stop it as much as you can.
3: So if you assume that the essence of the person is in some sense contained in the brain and yeah. the nervous system, mm-hmm. then the ability to preserve the person's uh ability or potential to come back to life rests in keeping the brain and the nervous system from changing from the state it was in during life
1: right right if it changes then obviously that and we've seen this right people who suffer brain damage can mm-hmm. have different uh personality issues or uh uh intelligence issues depending on you know where the damage was sustained and, uh, and that shows that there is this link between the brain and the self. I mean, that is, yeah. that is important, obviously.
3: Uh. I think that is a robust finding of modern science. Yes.
1: Uh, I'm trying to be respectful of people's beliefs here as well, but I mean, it, science would show that The self self and the brain are very closely tied together. If not.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I think pretty much no matter what you believe about dualism or whatever, the brain is the seat of the self in the body.
1: Yes. Yes. So clearly you have to have a way of preserving that. And so cryonics depends upon, uh, like I said, an unsubstantiated premise, actually more than one unsubstantiated premise, but one big one. And that is that long term memory can be preserved if the brain is kept at a low enough temperature uh obviously you want to have long term memory preserved because otherwise the person is not the person when they mm-hmm. come back right they don't have any memory of who they are then they are not you know Hey, the, we, we brought Jack back, but Jack's not Jack anymore. Uh, this you
3: know. again features into some strange questions that I want to ask toward the end.
1: Excellent. I can't wait to hear them. So there are some surgeries in which doctors will cool a patient's brain in order to reduce the metabolic rate that the brain is uh, going through. So typically this is at around 25 degrees Celsius, which is 77 degrees Fahrenheit. That's boiling hot compared to the temperatures of cryopreservation. <laughs> uh, so cryonics says, hey, if we can slow metabolic processes and see patients make a recovery Even after their their brains have been put into hypothermia, then if there's no or very little negative impact to their long term memory, maybe what we could do is freeze the brain. Essentially, vitrify is a better word, and we'll get into why that is later.
3: Right? You don't really want the brain to freeze. No,
1: uh, to preserve long term memory indefinitely. And people would say, like, oh, you made a big jump there to say that because we can cool the brain down to slow down the metabolic processes. And the person can make a recovery with little to no impact on the long-term memory. It's an enormous jump to suggest that we could stop or essentially stop the metabolic process and bring it back and there'd be no effect. Um, the prevailing theory in medicine is that the brain needs to be continuously active for memory to survive. So even in the surgery example I was giving, the brain is still active. It's just slowed down significantly. Mm-hmm. But it's not like... It stopped. And so uh, it could very well be that the people who are arguing for cryonics are absolutely correct in their assumption but we don't have the scientific evidence to prove that yet.
3: Yeah. Now, we mentioned at the beginning that this is a fundamentally different idea than the idea of suspended animation, yes. like sending the body into some form of, uh, often the idea of cold temperatures is involved, but yeah. not necessarily. There are just different ideas about how you might make a human hibernate right. to stop their metabolism so they don't age, they don't need to eat, and right. stuff like that during like the long... Like Demolition Man, the, yeah. the
1: amazing documentary Demolition Man has a lot of that in there. Or as we said, alien, yes. the alien yeah, 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 yeah.
3: In these cases, it's it's not cryopreservation because you're not being preserved. You're sort of going into hibernation. You right. don't die first. Right.
1: So cryopreservation, it does involve suspending a person after they have died. Suspended death, as, as Edinger argued, it should be thought of as, as opposed to suspended animation. Uh, because uh, it was... It's, it's easier to do for one thing. There are fewer ethical concerns, mm-hmm. right? Because the person's already dead. So the, the biggest ethical concern is, is it ethical for you to ask for money for, to, to, for the service that you cannot guarantee will work? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're selling something and you don't know for sure that what you're selling will ever pay off in the long run. That's the only real ethical concern. Is,
3: well, I mean, I think that's fine as long as you're perfectly clear with people what what the risks are.
1: Sure. I'm just saying that it's it's more ethical that approach is more ethical than saying, hey, uh, you wanna live you wanna live to see, you know, twenty-one seventy five uh, just go ahead and jump into this chamber. We're going to lower your body temperature to, right. to minus 196 <laughs> degrees Celsius. Then that's going to kill you, right? Like yeah. that will kill you. And then maybe you could be brought back. That's where the ethical concern is. You could not get, no one's going to let that fly. Right. right. No one's going to say, sure, go ahead, start killing people so that they can come back in 100 years' time. Um, so. Suspended death actually makes more sense in it's easier to achieve from a social point of view, not easier necessarily technologically, but perhaps culturally. Um, and Endger in his book pointed out that there are different classes of death. He identified five, which um, Miracle Max would uh, end up being three short because he said there's mostly dead and then there's all dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it turns out, Endger says, no, 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 there are quite a few. There's clinical death. Which typically is when someone has stopped breathing and their heartbeat has stopped. There, I think
3: this is, that's often referred to as heart death.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's biological death that Ettinger would argue in which he said that's the state from which resuscitation is impossible under our current capabilities.
3: There's maybe some ambiguity in there.
1: Well, he, purposefully so. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get to why. Uh, then there's cellular death. That's the actual degeneration of cells in our bodies. Uh, there's legal death. That's uh, the condition that um, – uh, so discouraging that a an attending physician will sign off on a death certificate. So essentially saying that a physician has determined that resuscitation is no longer possible mm-hmm. and signs a death certificate. Then there's religious death. Um, and that definition depends upon the religion in question. Sure. Uh, and it relates to cryonics and how the religion frames death because in some religions it might be considered um, taboo mm-hmm. to even – think about cryopreservation. Uh, so Eddinger argued that clinical death is sometimes reversible. The idea that someone has stopped breathing, their heart is stopped, it, they can sometimes be resuscitated, uh, and that the starting point for biological and cellular death isn't static. In the other words, what might have been impossible, it might have been impossible to resuscitate someone under, under certain conditions 20 years ago, but today it is now possible. Yeah. So he says, well, though, there, therefore, the definition of biological death is fluid. It it can change over time. It gets more and more narrow because we find new ways to bring people back. He also argues this is this is evidence to support the idea that cryonics works because if we keep pushing that that uh, limit back further and further. Mm-hmm. Why should we ever think that there's a limit to what we can do?
3: Well, I think there's something to that. But then again, you, you will again, if we imagine someone dead and then left at room temperature, you will immediately start to encounter Issues, Yeah, here. Uh, because somebody dead and left at room temperature is going to start to go through the degradation of tissues yes. from which you cannot recover. Yeah, uh, you go through the, the process of, of cell death. Like we talked about the individual tissues at every level throughout the body start to degrade in such a way that you it, it's not just kind of like we don't have a way to fix that yet. You look at somebody who's been dead at room temperature for several days, and there's nothing you can think of that you could do that would bring this person back. It's like without
1: without having some sort of perfect map of their neural. Yeah, you essentially
3: just need to reprint them from scratch.
1: Yeah, yeah. if you it, and at that point you're talking about cloning anyway. Yeah. Uh and it's and then you have the argument of well is this the person or is just a copy of a person do they actually have the experiences that the person had? That's a totally different realm of sci-fi that we're not going to go into in this particular uh episode, but these are these are questions that remain unanswered. Mm-hmm. Uh and obviously cryonics is all about getting the person into cryopreservation as quickly as possible after clinical death. Yeah,
3: so that doesn't happen.
1: Really after legal death, I should say. Yeah, exactly. So that you don't have this deterioration of tissue that would be uh, at least problematic and at most a complete preventative from ever bringing the person back, no matter how advanced our technology gets in the future. Right. So the first person to ever undergo cryogenic preservation, I mean true cryopreservation, was James Bedford. And that happened in 1967. Now, that actually happened a couple years after a guy named Evan Cooper published a book similar to Ettinger's. Uh, His book was titled Immortality Physically, Scientifically, Now. (laughs) Uh, Cooper founded the Life Extension Society and tried to convince someone, anyone, to undergo cryopreservation after death. He he didn't know what he
3: wanted to live forever.
1: He was getting really... Antsy about it. He was like, 50 million people die every year. Couldn't one of you say that I want to be cryopreserved? Uh, it, it started sounding like he had a little air of desperation around him because it took a couple of years before he, he finally had an opportunity. Um, he, he, uh, he actually even said that the, the organization would pay for the cryopreservation. So the family, uh, of the, the deceased would not have to foot the bill for it because he just wanted to get things started. Yeah. Uh, one other person had actually been placed in cryogenic suspension temporarily, so there was a, a woman whose identity was never revealed, so we don't have a name, but um, the time between her death and the cryopreservation process was considered too great, that she had spent too long out in, uh, in, in sort of, I think she was in a, uh, a mortuary, so she, it wasn't like she had, um it wasn't like she was being stored at room temperature, but it still wasn't a temperature cold enough for cryopreservation. Right. And, uh, it was, it was cold enough to slow deterioration, but not to stop it. And so she was eventually removed from suspension and buried. Uh, so, uh, she doesn't really count as far as people in the cryonics field are concerned. Bedford was a psychology professor who passed away at the age of 73 before being frozen. Uh, the Cryonic Society of California performed the procedure, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, he is still frozen. Uh, he, he You can re- read all about James Bedford, and they actually did a transfer, I think, in 1991, which involved a, a, uh, a thorough check to make sure that everything was as it should be. Mm-hmm. And according to the stuff I read, uh, he was in good shape. Um, still frozen or vitrified, as we should say. I keep saying that. I mean, frozen is kind of like the layman term that you always hear when it comes to cryogenic preservation.
3: Well, let's get into the actual specifics then. What, what do they do to you and what's the deal with this vitrification?
1: Sure. So there's a company called Alcor that mm-hmm. does this and they have a pretty thorough PDF that explains the process. So I'm going to use them as an example, uh, keeping in mind that Cryonics companies, there are a few out there, and they all generally follow the same sort of approach. Uh, one thing I should point out is that way back in the day, uh, the woman I was talking about who was put into cryogenic suspension, she wasn't actually treated with any chemicals to counteract ice crystal formation because she oh. was she was really cryonically she was really not cryonically frozen. She was. Dipped in liquid nitrogen, essentially. Um, so that was a major difference. But today, cryopreservatives are definitely part of the procedure. So yeah. first, uh, Alcor says their first step is deployment and standby, which is where they get a notification that a customer is uh, is near death or has passed away. Mm-hmm. And they send a team to wherever that, that customer happens to be. They're, the patient is how they refer to them, to wherever the patient is as soon as they are aware of it. And at the moment that the patient is declared legally dead, assuming it has not already happened, the team can then take action. Um, and that reduces the amount of time between the pronouncement of death and cryopreservation, which is critical. Just as you were saying earlier, Joe, you know, you can't waste any time or deterioration starts to happen. Um, so they, they then jump into stage two, which is stabilization. So the Alcor team uh, begins to cool the patient's body to just above freezing uh, to depress metabolism, and they restore circulation. They actually cause uh, blood to circulate again in order to uh, have oxygenated blood feed into the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And they may, as part of this, also ventilate the lungs. They also administer anti-clotting medications, very important, in order to get the blood to continue to flow through the circulatory system. Um, and if it will take any, a long time to get the patient to Alcor's facilities, they might replace the patient's blood with an organ preservation solution to protect against cold ischemia. So cold ischemia, that's actually something that happens with organ transplants. Um, it's the chilling of a tissue or organ during decreased blood perfusion or in the absence of blood supply. Uh So when you are, are um, removing an organ for transplant purposes – and you're cooling it. That is the, the cold ischemia. Uh, and then you also have warm ischemia. That's when you have the reverse process, when you're warming the organ up and then and then uh, uh, performing the surgery to transplant it into a patient.
3: Yeah. But at this stage in the process, if we were not to introduce some certain types of chemicals, we would really encounter problems. Yeah. Uh, um, because the body has a lot of water content. ton of it, Yeah. Have you ever noticed, Jonathan, that, uh, say, if you get some food out of the freezer, like some fresh vegetables or yeah. fruits or meat or something like that, and then you cook it up, it doesn't quite have exactly the same texture it would have if you just had it fresh.
1: Yeah, are you somehow moving this to a cannibalism discussion? I'm not no, 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 no. I tell, I'm I tell just you where you're going.
3: That you can tell just at that level, yeah, you know, without any kind of scientific analysis, that something happens to organic tissues that are frozen that yes. have water content. Uh, and one of the main things that's going on here that scientists have identified is the problem of ice crystal formation.
1: Yeah, uh, ice crystals. If they form in your in your tissues, what happens is the ice crystals end up uh, squishing cells, damaging cells and killing cells. Yeah. Uh, so if ice crystals are forming in your blood, uh, in your in your tissue, then you're you're suffering tissue damage. And that's bad. Obviously, you know, you're creating more work for the amazing scientists of the future to reverse when they're trying to revive somebody. Mm-hmm. So, so
3: one of the way in, obviously, you don't want. Yeah. You don't want your prefrontal cortex to be like that frozen okra that you got out of the freezer that was so soggy and gross. So instead, you need to undergo some kind of procedure to prevent ice crystals from forming in the body when you go to these super cool temperatures. That
1: brings us to phase three, which is the cryoprotectant perfusion process. Uh, So in that stage, which takes place at the Alcor facility, the patient's blood is replaced with vitrification solution. So now we're going to finally talk about vitrification. So the standard meaning of the word is to turn into a glass essentially that, that, that you're turned into glass through yeah. some process
3: you're not actually turned into glass no
1: here. no but in this case uh, alcor uses the term vitrification rather than frozen because the chemicals used to uh, in this in this phase actually protect water from solidifying into ice. Um, so this actually allows the the, the tissues and water to, to not form ice crystals mm-hmm. thus preserving the the cells or at least that's the plan. So in this process, the water in cells is partially replaced with these chemicals, and that is hopefully something that could be reversed in the future when you're being revived.
3: Now, there are some problems with this process as well, the injection of the cryoprotectants, and I'm going to talk about a recent study towards the end of this episode that I think sort of addresses this problem.
1: Okay. And then you had the final phase of this Process phase four, which is the cryogenic cool down. Uh huh. Um, so the patient has cooled usually in a series of uh, uh cooling periods because if you do it too fast, then you could have really bad tissue damage. Uh, but the patient has cooled to the temperature of liquid nitrogen, which is uh at, at the, the warmest <laughs> negative 320.44 degrees Fahrenheit or nearly negative 196 degrees Celsius. Yowza, and that's how they're kept at that temperature until there it's time to thaw them out and uh uh either that means that we figured or, out or how until to, the power goes off the power goes off yeah the money <laughs> runs out something yeah. like that uh but at any rate that's how they stay and or uh, barring any technical or financial failure uh and at that temperature physical decay is pretty much stopped it is is so minor as to be negligible mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they talk about as you know indefinitely preserved until we're able to fix whatever the problems were now being preserved doesn't necessarily mean that you have your own space you might be in a chamber with somebody else and by chamber i mean fortunately
3: you won't mind no
1: no but it's like it's like think about uh you know a tube large enough to hold a couple of bodies maybe as many as four in one case that i read about mm -hmm. uh And uh, sometimes this requires some creative placement. One of the things I read sounded like uh, the four people had been – had to be placed very, very carefully into a single chamber. uh, And it was like putting together a puzzle to see which bits could fit where. Yeah. um, Not pleasant to think about. Definitely not dignifying to think about. But uh, especially in the early days, they there were some limitations because there weren't very many chambers in existence. Uh So you kind of had to – buddy up. At any rate, um uh you know, you're dead, so you might not really care at that point. But uh it's definitely another part of the the equation that a lot of people don't necessarily think about because they're thinking like, "Oh, it's in those, you know, clear acrylic chambers where you can look in and you see the face of the person." Like, no, that's not really the case. Um and also we mentioned Joe, you mentioned about the brain being really important and sometimes that's the only important thing people are really concentrating on. If you're looking at cryopreservation and you realize, like, oh that price tag is really high, like, that's going to be a huge drain on finances.
3: You look at the price tag and then you look at your body. You're like, well, does all of this really matter all that much?
1: Yeah. So I you mean. could uh, go in for – I didn't take care of it anyway. Yeah, you <laughs> could go in for neurocryopreservation, which is a fancy way of saying they'll freeze your head and nothing else. So essentially you, you get uh, uh, surgically decapitated.
3: It's a bargain.
1: And they – they yeah. You, you don't need nearly as much space. For neurocryopreservation, as you do for full cryopreservation. And, of course, the idea behind that is that our brains have all the interesting stuff in them that makes us who we are. And hopefully, by the time we're able to start thawing people out, we'll also have the medical science necessary to create a new body, either through cloning or 3D printing or some other means that we don't even anticipate right now. Yeah. So you would have your head sewn onto the body of your new
3: You. Dog.
1: Yeah, or whatever.
3: Body. No. Yeah, hopefully you get a robot. A very, very strong and powerful robot. This
1: is sounding a lot like almost every episode of Futurama, right? (laughs) That's another reason why I I get a little skeptical. So –
3: uh yeah so so everything we've said before that is what is supposed to happen yeah. it's so, sort of like what the claim is how, what would work in theory if everything goes according to plan and and how the preservation process works now we enter the section of our outline titled uh but uh yeah how do you how do you wake up
1: yeah yeah like that's that's a big question so so joe um has anyone figured out how to how to do that?
3: No. No yeah. one has even close to figured out how to revive a dead person from a frozen state. The freezing does not keep you in a state – I mean I think some people kind of think about it like this. Okay, if you freeze them, you just warm them back up. It's like you reverse the process and then they wake up. No, then you just have a warm dead body.
1: Not a cold dead body, yeah.
3: Right. So no one has figured out how to revive a dead person. I mean, we've figured out how to...
1: Resuscitate people.
3: Yeah, people who might go into cardiac arrest or something like that. Uh, And there are some cases in which they can be brought back through through interventions. But uh, yeah, this kind of dead person... We don't the, know what you do with that. The
1: really most sincerely dead, as the munchkins would say. Yeah. So not only have we not figured out that, at this point, as of right now, no mammals have ever been cooled to cryopreservation temperatures and revived.
3: Now, there have been some kind of weird, creepy, but interesting experiments.
1: Yeah. And those experiments usually involve mammals that have been uh, uh, operated on so that their blood has been swapped out for some sort of protective solution And then the animals were cooled to below freezing, then rewarmed and revived. And that has worked out. I think dogs and monkeys largely have. have I think it
3: doesn't work out all the time. Doesn't
1: work out all the time. It's not 100 percent successful, but it's one of those things where there has been some success. But cooling down to freezing and cooling down to minus 196 Celsius is that's a pretty significant gap. Yeah. So, and,
3: uh, yeah. So we, we mentioned earlier all the different assumptions that cryopreservation depends on. Yeah. So it depends on the ability to successfully and safely reverse the freezing process and revive the brain. Yep. Uh, it also depends on medical advancements advancements to cure whatever problem killed you in the first place, <laughs> or else this will be a very brief and unpleasant revival. Well,
1: it makes me think of The Simpsons, like, uh, like looking for a cure for 19 stab wounds in the back. We're up right. to 17. Exactly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then of course there's, imagine you only got your head preserved. Yeah. You've got the problems to deal with there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, none there, of, there may
3: be a shortage of robotic bodies at the time you wake up, which right. would be very unfortunate.
1: None of these are terribly um, trivial, right? These yeah. are all pretty tough problems.
3: Uh, but we mentioned also problems associated with the freezing itself. I yeah. mean, Apart from whatever killed you naturally.
1: Yeah. So freezing tissues to this temperature sometimes results in fracturing.
3: Mm-hmm. There
1: can actually be fractures that happen. And you as, mean
3: even with the vitrification?
1: Yes. Uh, it's... it's when you're getting to temperatures that low, it's something that can happen. And, uh, you know, the, the cryonics groups strive very hard to try and preserve people without any damage, but it's difficult to predict. And even if you're taking very great care, it can still happen. Some of the organs in our body are quite large. And when they get cooled to those temperatures, there can be these fractures, which that's definitely a a problem. Um, There are several cryonics companies that are exploring other options that would allow for the preservation of bodies at higher temperatures to reduce the chance of these fractures forming in the first place. So some vapor uh, uh, techniques that are being experimented on. But as far as I know, I haven't been deployed in any way. Mm. But uh, the idea being that you could preserve bodies at a higher temperature and still be below freezing, significantly below freezing – but well above minus one ninety six Celsius. Uh-huh. And uh there's also been some pretty big black eyes on the history of Cryonics, some some notable and tragic failures.
3: Well, I mentioned earlier about the power going off. I know that's been a problem before, right?
1: Yeah. Uh so here's the deal. Uh we're gonna talk about some pretty awful stuff here. Yeah. And and I I just wanna I wanna preface this by saying that reading about these was really hard on me because I just put myself in the mindset of a family member. Right. Someone who uh, who agreed perhaps to a wish for – let's say that the, that the deceased person wanted to be cryogenically frozen and the family member is honoring this wish and thinking about going through the grieving process once when the person passes away and then again – after a failure is a really tough thing to think about. Yeah. Now, not everyone had that reaction. Some people say I went through and made my peace after they died. And to me, this was uh, an unfortunate thing, but it was something that they had wanted. It wasn't something I believed in. I did it out of a sense of obligation. I am at peace with what has happened, even though it was unfortunate, that kind of stuff.
3: Or they might have had a might have had an understanding from the beginning that this was a, uh, you know, an outside chance, anyway, an optimistic long shot that was likely to fail
1: and possibly a long shot that would pay off well after they themselves had passed away. Yeah. Right. Like it could be like, yeah, it's going to be 16 more years before this even has a chance to pay off uh meaning that the children of the people who were putting them to cryo storage at the beginning may not live to see it actually pay off in the end. Well, first of all, everyone who was frozen before 1974 with only one exception has since been thawed and buried or cremated. So every single person who was put into cryonic suspension before 1974 is 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 dead dead yeah. except For James Bedford, that first person who was put into cryopreservation, he is still in cryopreservation, uh, largely because he was transferred to the care of relatives for a while who were able to uh, uh, make certain that his his cryogenic chamber was still being serviced with uh, liquid nitrogen to keep it at the right temperature, while some of the other facilities suffered massive problems. So why were the folks before 1974 thought out in the first place? Well, in some cases, it was because the company that oversaw their care went out of business. Hmm. That's a huge problem, right? Like, if you are entrusting a company to be a caretaker and keep your, your chamber at the proper conditions so that one day you have a chance of coming back, you gotta hope that that company sticks around. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Um, so here's an example. CryoCare, which started off as a cosmetic freezing company, was one of those. And by cosmetic, I mean, they weren't looking for cryopreservation. They were looking to preserve the appearance of a person, but not to preserve their chance to come back to life. So they weren't treated with cryopreservatives necessarily. But some of the, um, the people who were put into cryogenic suspension were kind of handed over to CryoCare as the facility to take care of the chamber um, in the meantime. And so CryoCare went out of business a couple years after it launched, and the owner ended up turning all the patients over to other companies or back to the family members who more often than not uh, uh, had the body thawed so that it could be buried or cremated. Um, quite a few customers thawed out after payments dried up, which is pretty grim to think about hmm. um that the money ran out and so they were no longer being cared for and then they ended up having to be buried uh, it's pretty it was pretty expensive to keep people in storage depending upon the company now uh that's not it's not necessarily a continuously paid into system like uh the cryonics institute i think it's $28,000 but it's a one time thing so you pay $28,000 and they will Care for the the cryogenic uh, preservation indefinitely until such time as it's it's ready to you know be revived or cryo the cryonics institute no longer exists. Other companies, it's like a regular payment that you have to uh, keep up with, and obviously if that money dries up, that's a problem. Um. In at least a few cases, the chambers holding people or sometimes multiple people uh, have failed and liquid nitrogen boiled off. As Obviously, it, it, at room temperature, it will just turn into a gas, Yeah, um, which meant that bodies would end up warming up to beyond cryopreservation temperatures. Uh, one such case involved the remains of a woman named Mildred Harris and an eight-year-old girl named Genevieve de la Poterie. And the two had been placed in a single capsule and stored in a crypt in Chatsworth. And the capsule seal was not vacuum tight and liquid nitrogen started to boil off and it left the two without proper preservation for what was quoted as a long interval. Mm. Uh, ultimately, Chatsworth was considered to be, um, like a, uh, like, like, like the boogeyman of the cryonics industry because oh. nine people were frozen and stored at Chatsworth and all nine were ultimately thawed and buried later. And so when people talk about cryonic disaster or cryonic failure, Chatsworth is one of the names that pops up because this particular facility just had that kind of issue. And by facility, I mean, they were storing these, these, uh, these cryonic chambers in crypts. So huh. it was pretty grim all around. Uh, early work had also been really primitive, like I mentioned, uh, where you know you didn't have the cryopreservatives. So that was right. it was pretty obvious that that there wasn't going to be any feasible way of bringing those back. So there were a lot of early failures or shortcomings that um, definitely. Created a negative point of view of uh, the cryonics industry. Oh, something that a lot of the organizations now are working very, very hard to turn around. Obviously, yeah,
3: uh, yeah certainly. And one of the things is that cryonics is—we've we, said this word a few times—but it's sort of inherently optimistic because yeah. it says, "Yeah, I know we don't have all this stuff figured out now, but we're just going to put all our faith in the future." Yeah, we're going to in the future we're gonna, they'll figure it out.
1: We're going to hit pause, and by the time uh, we're just going to wait for a time when they figure out how to fix the problem and then we'll hit play again and everything will be fine.
3: Yeah, and so that that could be the case. That could not be the case with what we're going to figure out in terms yeah. of how to revive people, how to thaw them safely, how to bring them back, how to cure whatever was the problem with them to begin with, be it 19 stab wounds to the back or some um, much more common uh, cause of death. But we're also making progress with the cryopreservation process itself. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that is kind of heartening about the, the potential future of cryonics is we're learning more about smarter ways to cool people's bodies with the hope that they could one day be resuscitated.
1: Right. To, to do less damage in the preservation process. So if, in fact, we do come up with a means of reviving people. We haven't created more work for ourselves.
3: Exactly. But we do still have a long way to go. And I want to give one example of an interesting study I came across recently. So in December of 2015, there were a couple of scientists named Gregory Fahey, and that's a name I've seen come up quite a few times in uh, in cryonics research, and uh, Robert McIntyre working for a company called 21st Century Medicine. And they published a study in the journal Cryobiology explaining this new technique they had for supercooling brain tissue without destroying it. And their, their technique is called aldehyde-stabilized cryopreservation, or ASC. I actually first read about this in a New Scientist article by Helen Thompson from February of this year. And that's a, that's a good, simple explanation if you want to look it up and check it out. Mm. Uh, but let's say you, you want to freeze somebody's brain. How do you do it? Well, as we've mentioned before, you know, the body tissues have trouble with uh, with ice crystal formation if mm-hmm. you just super cool it. So you've got to go through this process we talked about earlier with vitrification, the cryoprotectant chemicals. But those need to be spread throughout the brain very quickly in order to prevent decay from setting in while you're doing it. Uh, And that causes its own kind of damage. So that's where this new technique comes in, the ASC. So first in this process, you drain all of the blood from the brain. Mm-hmm. And then you perfuse the brain, meaning that you you spread uh, uh, a liquid all throughout all of the vessels and little nooks and crannies in it. You perfuse the brain with a chemical called glutaraldehyde. And this stops decay from setting in, allowing them to perfuse the cryoprotectant chemicals. In this case, it would be ethylene glycol at a more moderate pace, which prevents the damage from this process. And uh, once the cryoprotectants are added, then you can supercool or vitrify the brain down to 135 degrees Celsius and store it at this temperature indefinitely.
1: Minus 135.
3: Is that not what I said? No, you just said 135. Well, thank you for correcting me.
1: I mean, if you dropped it down to, to 135 Celsius, that's one hot tamale.
3: That's one hot rabbit brain. Yeah. They tested this on rabbit brains. Rabbit brains and pig brains. Uh, so they, they found that, uh, one rabbit brain tissue preserved in this way could be rewarmed without damage to the neuronal structure or, and this was interesting, to the synapses between neurons because this, uh, This whole preservation of the brain state, including the connections between neurons, has been identified as one of sort of the holy grails of preserving a brain correctly, Mm -hmm. known as the the connectome, sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, how everything connects. Right. You don't just want the cells where they were. You want all of the cell connections in place. And this is difficult to do. Uh, so they, they did this to a rabbit brain, and then they, they rewarmed it, looked at it, they examined slices of the brain tissue with an electron microscope, and they said that the preservation level looked excellent.
1: Hmm. Well, that's, that's encouraging news, uh, but, uh, I see that you've got a lot more notes in this section. Yes,
3: well, <laughs> well one thing I found is that cryonics kind of like aging reversal research. I think the link here might be that both, uh, Uh, both give us the promise of perhaps avoiding death, uh, which we talked about recently. Sometimes that lends itself to inaccurate media coverage. So I saw some headlines referring to this research that made it sound like a rabbit brain had been, quote, revived after cryopreservation. I just want to make clear, nothing of the kind took place. This was a dead rabbit brain that was brought back. Still quite dead, but what was cool about it was that in the freezing process, they'd been able to do this with with very strong protection of the cell-to-cell structure of the brain.
1: So two things. It came back dead but intact. Yeah. And the second thing is... Joe, those headlines aren't going to click themselves.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But there's there are more complications, too. Yeah. Because as you might be able to guess, given its properties and what it could do in this uh, research, that glutaraldehyde stuff is not something you would ever want to put into the brain of a person or animal who needed to continue living. It's Mm. toxic. It's not good stuff. So while this process is a great step forward in terms of what we know about how to preserve brain tissue and its connectome intact... It doesn't mean that we've discovered the secret to perfect neuro cryo immortality because you've, you've sort of solved one problem but created another one. You've had to fill the brain with this poison in order to keep its structure safe from the process. Well
1: clearly the, the cryonics experts of the future will have some sort of brain bath.
3: Well they, you know, they do talk about that. So they say, well maybe we're introducing, uh, we're uh, avoiding one problem that cannot be dealt with by future technology, but by introducing another problem that can be dealt with mm. by future technology.
1: Interesting. Uh,
3: but, but ultimately we don't know. You know yeah. we, we never know if something like this is going to work. So I, I don't know. Cryonics to me is a very interesting realm of human technological and scientific exploration because it it. Lean so heavily on this optimistic impulse. Right, it's all it's a it's a, it's a field inherently about what we will be able to do in the future, which we can't know.
1: It actually reminds me a lot of how some of the folks I know, uh, this more relevant several years ago than now, were almost dismissive of climate change, not because they didn't think it was happening, but because they were convinced we would tech our way out of it.
3: Yeah, we'll engineer our way out of the problem. Yeah. I've heard this pe- from people. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it's one of those things where you, you think, like, you sound to me like you're making an excuse to not change your behaviors.
3: Exactly. Well, I mean, I certainly hope that we can engineer our way out of climate change, sure. but you shouldn't depend on that.
1: Right. Whereas... If you're talking about cryopreservation, I'm not saying the two are equivalent because the person's dead, right? Mm -hmm. So the person's dead and you're either going to bury the person, cremate them, donate them to science, whatever the person – whatever the person's wishes were. If the person's wishes were for cryogenic suspension and – or cryopreservation, if you prefer, uh, and they had set aside the money to have that happen – I don't see it as inherently worse mm-hmm. than those other options because there is even though you might say like this this whole vision is optimistic to the point of folly, if you if you think that's true, it's no worse than just burying the person or cremating them or anything else. Sure.
3: Uh, although you could Except for costs, I guess. Except for
1: the cost, which depending on what you're plans are to do with your remains might be about as expensive. Mm. Um, But uh, depending on, again, on the cryonics uh, company that you're talking about, I guess you could also argue that you are perhaps funding someone who you can't be entirely certain they sincerely believe that what they're doing will work. That's in, in other words, you might be worried that you're giving a con man money. Um, now, well,
3: hopefully you do enough research to, to be able to tell the difference.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's weird, though, right? Because you're talking about something that has an unproven benefit. Mm-hmm. And so you
3: could argue that by necessity, though.
1: Right. But you could argue that. that exactly. Because if we had already figured it out, then the person would not have died in the first place. Right. But if you could argue that these these companies, whether they are knowingly engaged in it or not, could all be in the snake oil business. Sure. Yeah. And so that could be your other objection is that you're giving money to people who are selling what could turn out to be false hope. The thing is, we just don't know right now. Uh It could turn out to perfectly work in the future or it could turn out that it's a complete bust.
3: Uh, Can I introduce another weird concern? Hit me. That goes way beyond all of the practical medical stuff we've been talking about. Sure.
1: Let's imagine
3: you can do all of this. You Uh can revive people you can freeze them without damage you can bring their nervous system and brain back online i still might have some questions uh like we'd have to go into some weird territory about death and the nature of conscious experience uh and questions like this might be kind of unavoidable in this territory so how about the assumption of continuity of consciousness like we don't understand exactly how the sense of continuity of consciousness is created. But mm-hmm. people are just assuming that if they get their brain presumed uh, preserved for a long period of time and then they get it thought out, the brain will still be able to somehow reignite that same continuous conscious experience you've always had. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that wouldn't be true. But do we at the same time know that it would be true? Like on one hand. You go to sleep every night. You wake up in the morning, and you don't get the sense that the person you were yesterday died, and now you're a new person, right? There's some kind wait, of wait.
1: You don't get that.
3: <laughs> there's some kind of sense of continuity there, yes, right? Yeah. Uh, and the same thing happens maybe even if you go under general anesthesia for surgery or some kind of deep, dreamless, you know, void of consciousness. Still, when you come out of it, you do have this sense of there's continuity from person to person. I'm still the same person.
1: Yeah, I can give you a perfect example of this that doesn't date back to very long ago, which was when I had that allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. I blacked out. And in that I have no memory of anything that happened between the moment when I blacked out and the moment when I regained consciousness. I appeared to be conscious because Mm -hmm. my eyes were still open, but I was unresponsive. Um, And I have no memory of that – That what could have been five seconds it could have been five minutes it could have been an hour i have no clue yeah and uh and yet i definitely feel like i'm the same person that i was before the allergic reaction except for the fact that now i can't eat shrimp
3: yeah yeah okay uh, but, th- so this is the same kind of question we've talked about before with like, could you transfer your mind into a hard drive? Right. Well, I mean, what if you could, but you c- couldn't create a continuous conscious experience? So, so you maybe- have a copy of- Yeah, your... there's a copy of your brain, and right. it can behave like you did, but you're just gonna die, and right. that's just the end of your consciousness. You might,
1: and your dying thought might be, gosh, I'm kind of a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a possibility, right? Yeah, you and interact with yourself. Now and there's like,
3: another jerk in a computer somewhere, and you don't get to be that jerk It's just I get, like you. Not only
1: do I not get to be that jerk, but that jerk is effectively immortal.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so now we've never vitrified somebody's brain for 200 years and brought it back to life. I guess it just seems reasonable to assume that uh, that if you brought that brain back to life, somehow the first-person experience of the owner of that brain originally would somehow be reignited it would come back with it but i don't know i mean is that the case that's what happens when you go under general anesthesia for a certain number of hours but can we just assume the same thing would happen if you are dead for 200
1: years well i mean i think if you were to preserve the connectome yes because i I would believe that the self would be represented in that that connection of or of that series of connections within your neural system
3: i mean i i don't have any problem understanding that it would be that it would be like you that it would have your memories that it would behave like you Mm -hmm. but i I guess what i'm talking about is that continuity of conscious experience i
1: think i think it assuming it all works the way they envision it working Mm -hmm. i would imagine it would be not unlike the experience of waking up after what you perceive to be dreamless sleep Mm-hmm. Where... You have no memory of the sleeping part, but you remember what happened the day before. Only in this case, it would be 200 years and a day ago. (laughs) I mean, I don't Um,
3: think that, I I think that's not an unreasonable assumption, but it's just weird that we've, we've never experimented with anything even close to like this. There's no way to
1: know, right? It's in, in no way right now for us to know. The only way to ever find out is if we in fact reach a point where we can revive someone from cryopreservation and then say, so tell me about yourself. Uh, On a similar note, can you imagine how alien and weird it would be to be revived in a time decades removed from your own where Mm -hmm. everyone you have known is gone? Yeah. And perhaps even two or three generations after everyone you have known is gone, they're also gone because it's been that long, depending upon how long it takes us to get to a point where – assuming this is possible we figure it out.
3: Yeah, I mean what if you're cryopreserved and then you're brought back after the singularity or something like that and you the world is just unrecognizable right.
1: to you. And you're like, well great, I'm going to be a janitor, except I can't be because all the robots have all the jobs and I'm really just a sack of meat that's been left behind by everybody yeah. else. I
3: Congratulations, mean, you'll you'll live as obsolete forever.
1: It's it's a weird thing to consider. I mean, it's it, one of the things that is interesting about this show. Is that we get to look at all of these different ideas and hypotheses um, and when you take each one in in turn and you just examine it you know completely secluded from all others, you can start making some pretty broad statements about your opinion whether or not it's feasible or not feasible mm-hmm. And then if you start to say, well, let's just assume that these other things we've talked about do become reality, how does that impact this other thing that we're talking about now? And yeah. you start to realize that if, in fact, all the topics we cover in forward thinking all were to de- come to pass, it would be a really weird future.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like sometimes when we're trying to think about what the future implications of a certain technology or line of research would be, it's almost as if everything else stayed the same as it is today, but just that one thing works out. And
1: this is why predicting the future is is so difficult to yeah. do, right? Because not only can some other element come in and affect what you're thinking about, and it's completely impossible to anticipate. Therefore, there's no way to make a, an accurate prediction because you cannot anticipate this other event. But you're also often taking this thing out of context, the context of the world that we live in and the other things that can affect it. Uh, and and thus, it makes it even more difficult to make predictions of what the future will be. Um, but if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have this gig. So we kind of have to... <laughs>
3: But yeah, it's uh, I propose that we replace it with a ultimate fighting gig. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: uh, I'm going to need to get in some shape then. I am in A shape right now, but it's not one that's good for ultimate fighting. Uh
3: Well, it, you could just could be pri- uh, cryo-preserved and come back at a time where it's easy to get in shape instantly.
1: Right, right. Or maybe come back at a time where everyone is just physically weaker than I am. Right. Uh Mentally they're all there, but physically they're just pathetic and then I could just run rampant over yeah. them.
3: Finally your time to be a total bully.
1: Right. I, it's what I've dreamed of for all these years. Uh, so. So much lunch money. Who knows how, uh, maybe that's what I would dream of in, in cryopreservation. Actually that's the thing, other thing, right? Like if you're freezing someone to the point or vitrifying them to the point where you have halted the metabolic process, I guess we can be pretty certain that you wouldn't have like, decades-long dreams. Oh, everything yeah. Would, no, I mean, everything if, would be
3: done. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you don't dream under general anesthesia, I can't see why you would dream after being dead and frozen. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that you wouldn't have to worry about waking up. and Because like, I think there's probably some science fiction story out there where someone wakes up from uh, probably more likely suspended animation than cryopreservation and talks about the horrors that they saw, that they witnessed while they were in that... Um if you want to watch a, an incredibly goofy movie about this you should watch Sleeper which is an w- early Woody Allen movie in which uh, yeah. he is put into uh, he has woken up after being in cryopreservation preservation for decades and finds out that all the things that we believed in the uh in the early 70s about health and wellness are are false and uh and that he should have been smoking and drinking the whole time uh, Um yeah fantastic it's a very goofy goofy movie but at any rate guys if you have any thoughts about this or you have suggestions for future episodes you should get in touch with us and let us know our email address is at fwthinkingathowstuffworks.com or you can drop us a line on twitter or facebook at twitter we are fwthinking and if you search fwthinking in facebook's search bar will pop right up you can leave us a message there and we will talk to you again really soon
2: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
0: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, .com today